0: The following program is for educational and entertainment purpose only, not professional medical advice. Consult a medical professional or healthcare provider if you're seeking medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. I mean, you don't want your medical advice from an alcoholic, do you? An estimated 22 million Americans are currently suffering with addiction. I was four years old the first time that I got drunk. Not the first time I drank alcohol, the first time I got drunk. For thousands of centuries we've Children, been consuming what the Greeks call the nectar of the gods, drunk, but that nectar has jumped over the past decade, from 30% to 43% among boys, and from 26% to 41% among girls. I, I just have my story to share with you, and in the parking lot a gentleman came. Well, that's heavy stuff. Wow. Welcome to episode one. Michael Mays breaks the cycle. I'm not sharing my whole story with you in the first episode. I'm going to save that for episode two. I don't want to scare you too much. Uh, cliff note version of uh, the day that I, I finally, finally found my way to sobriety. Uh, I was in a, a filthy, disgusting rent by the hour motel room in a very, very shady place. I was bloated and and drunk and greasy and filthy and just at the very lowest of lows when I called my best friend and said to her, I think I need to go to the hospital. And she said, I've been waiting for this call for a long time. And she got right on it. Let me figure out where you are. Thank you, caller ID. And uh, let me find a place for you to go. Took her hours because it's it's not very easy to find a facility that you can just check into right then. I, it's, it's an issue we'll deal with in, a, in an upcoming episode. Things you can do in the meantime. But, uh, but for now, she found a place and she called me back and she said, I've got a, a hospital in Bristol, Connecticut. They can take you, but they said they can only take you in if you're like so drunk that it's dangerous. You're dangerously drunk. And I said, I'm on it. <laughs> Truth be told, I probably was already there. On the way to the hospital, driving through a very, again, shady place. Uh, I wanted to stop and get a tattoo. I wanted to stop at a strip club and have a few shots. One last hurrah before we go. <laughs> Neither of those things happened. We, we just kept driving. Thank God. And um, yeah, the rest is pretty brutal. So, so that'll be episode number two. This conversation, Ed Bagley Jr. has a book, and, and uh, it, it's, it's inspiring, and it's beautiful, and there are some moments in this conversation that I really hope hit you. I really, there's a couple of things especially we'll discuss at the end of the episode. I guess I've said enough. Without any further ado, uh, my conversation with Ed Bagley Jr.
1: Michael, how are you today?
0: I'm doing well. How are you today? Really good. Of course you are, man. Things are going very well for you. I I have to say, I I spent the weekend reading your memoir, To the Temple of Tranquility and Step On It. I love that title. And I'll I'll tell you why I love that title in a second. But, uh, you know, at first I thought, well, this will be a fun read. I'll read about St. Elsewhere, uh, read about your dad, maybe a cute story about Battlestar Galactica. And uh, no, that is not uh, at all (laughs) where this book took me. This book took me through a journey of... Trials and tribulations, of battles with sobriety, and so much more. And it's inspiring. And to you, I want to say thank you for being brave enough to put this all out there.
1: Bless you, Michael. That's so nice of you.
0: You're changing lives, man. Changing lives with this book.
1: Well, it's very meaningful talking to you in that sense. Because my dad was born in Hartford, Connecticut. And that's where he drank a lifetime's worth of liquor in a few years. And where he got sober. So... Hartford is a city that's very dear to me in many many
0: ways. Hartford is the city where I was on the verge of being an alcoholic, and when I got to Hartford in '91, I turned it up uh, full blast. <laughs> so, so I and, and got sober there as well too. So I, it's you know I, I love that 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 ties into your sobriety and your story and mine as well. You you like myself came from a family of um, alcoholics, of addicts, and uh, a taste for vodka. That was your that was your weapon of choice, yeah.
1: It was, double, tonic, double vodka tonic, tall glass of the lime. That was my drink at Thomas and elsewhere.
0: Yeah, that was me too. Um, but uh, at, at what point did you did you think to yourself, maybe uh, pounding down a, a nice bottle of vodka a day is not working for me?
1: I think when I had the DT's for the first time, I went, maybe this isn't uh, as sustainable as I thought. Yeah. And, uh, and I just kept, you know, trying to get well and going back out again and doing it again and again, you know, taking the same action, expecting different results, the definition of insanity. But finally, by 1979, i nine I'd had a belly full. And that was the last bit for 79.
0: Wow. And, and there you go. The title to the temple of tranquility and step on it. I, I, I used to, um, I used to want to get drunk as fast as possible. So that's why it was straight vodka. Just, I didn't even pour it in a glass, man. Just open the bottle and chug it down. Uh, I wanted when it finally when it came. Yeah. Oh, no, it was bad, man. But when it came time for my sobriety, I wanted it just as fast, too. I wanted to walk into a room somewhere and go, hi, I'm Michael Mays. And they all go healed. (laughs) That's it. So, you know, I had a lot of stumbles as well. It took me many, many years to get to where I am now. You had a, a pretty cool encounter with a guy that I'm guessing became your sponsor or maybe your sober coach, a guy named Billy Boyle
1: turned out he was never my sponsor. He wanted I wanted him to be my sponsor. That's not what he had in mind at all. I was not uh, far enough along for him, but he was very valuable to me because lots of other people, you know, still were very kind and generous to me and kind of gave me a certain amount of kind treatment. Billy Boyle was over me after my fifth time of trying to get sober. He was the people who uh, didn't buy your line of BS. Sometimes. More
0: valuable than the people who do. Yeah, what, what? There was a story about you. Um, I think Billy, Billy told you uh, the next time you're going to have a drink, call me first, and I'll kick your ass. And and you called him, and you were about to get on a plane. You're going to fly first class. That's a trigger because you're sitting in a nice cushy seat, and you've got a waitstaff at your disposal with lots of booze.
1: So that's right. And it started before that even. It started, you know, when they opened up the gate there at that bar in LAX. And I went, I'm going to have a Bloody Mary. I need to relax here. I'm working on a movie called The In-Laws with Peter Falk and Alan Arkin. Two big stars that I admire. So I'm going to, and I got the Bloody Mary. I ordered it, put it to my lips. And I remembered that that Billy Boyle character, that, that nightmare guy that was driving me crazy at the meeting. So I went, oh, Christ, he said to call him first. So I went over and called him and I said, Billy, you told me to call you before I drink, so I'm calling you. He said, oh, okay. I hear it's nice in Cuernavaca this time of year. Know, maybe you didn't hear me. <laughs> I'm about to drink. Yeah. You call me when you get there. You're going to be fine. you oh, no, I'm actually, hold on a second. No cell phones back then. So I said to the bartender, did I just order Bloody Mary? You no, know, with a pay phone. I'm yelling across the airport. The guy said, yeah, you're going to come drink? I said, yeah. And also, I'm in first class. I'm going to drink on the plane. So why are you so relaxed? That's because you're not going to drink. I am. You're not. I am. Finally, I said, why, um, why am I not going to drink? And he said, because you called me. There you go. I realized it was true. If I, you know, if I wanted to drink, he said, you know, you would have just had to drink. You don't want to drink. That's why you walked to that meeting for the first time years ago. That's why you just called me. You do not want to drink. Like I said call me when you get to Granada goodbye pick up the phone office. and of course i i didn't take that drink cuz he was right and i didn't drink on the plane cuz he was right and here we are a few years later
0: a few years definitely i you know i, I once had a, a friend a friend of mine and i talked about the series of steps that i would take to cash in my sobriety you know, and that was getting up in the morning, getting dressed, making a decision that uh, I'm going to go out and get some booze, grabbing my car keys, grabbing my cash, walking to the car, opening the door. Like if you break it down to every single step that you make, you know, my my heart and my soul didn't want to do any of those steps. I wanted to stay sober, but ego and addiction sneak in and go. And if they can just F with one of those little steps, just one of them, then I'm, then I'm off and drinking again. Um, you making that phone call? Oh. S- same thing. You you put you put that roadblock in front of that that series of steps, and and I think that's an amazing thing to be able to do, especially given all you had. You know, sitting first class like we just discussed. Uh, were there ever movies or TV shows that you filmed that you were just you were just sloshed, you were drunk when you were actually performing?
1: Oh yeah, it's pretty obvious and. That- many of the shots. There's a movie called Blue Collar with Richard Pryor, and and Harvey Keitel. I play a factory worker in Detroit there working on the assembly line. And then we go to bars as part of the story of this wonderful Paul Schrader script, Blue Collar, which he directed. But it was open season back then in the 70s on many sets. And this was this set was one of them. So i you know the shots of me walking out to a car, stumbling drunk. They didn't. I'm, I don't even think they told me they were shooting. They just get a shot of it going to the car, mm. and that was it. That was me in my natural habitat, stumbling to the car. And God help me, I didn't kill anybody while driving. Them.
0: Yeah. Did you um? Did you have any fear about? being public when you got sober? Were you worried that people would think something was wrong with you or they would judge you or, or look down on you or anything?
1: Yeah, I was quite anonymous for a while. You know, and, and The program suggests that you do just that. But then some years went by and I had learned a few things and wanted to share them. So I shared a good many things you know, within the 12-step program and then decided in certain applications and after a certain period of time, it's okay to share others. And I'm very careful to talk about my addiction to my problems and not to spend uh, too much time on other people.
0: Interesting. Yeah. You know, because I, I I, had this, I don't, I wouldn't call it guilt. I don't know what to call it. It was an insecurity and a fear when I first got sober, the first maybe three or four years. I didn't really want anybody to know. And then finally one day it hit me I was like, maybe I should be more embarrassed about all the stuff I did when I was drunk and be proud of the sobriety. And that's when I owned it. And I feel like that's really when all of that work and that program started to work for me, you know?
1: Yeah, and I was mostly not sneaking at all, all my drinking over those years, leading up to it. So suddenly I'm going to be sneaky about sobriety. Yep. I, I, no, I chose to talk about it in the right circumstances and in the right way with the right timing. But I was very well known as a big drinker back in the 70s when I was actively pursuing
0: it. Unbelievable. Ed Begley Jr., uh, To the Temple of Tranquility and Step on It is the book. Thank you for being so honest and brave and real and sharing that story. And again, changing lives and inspiring people. Thank you so much. It was an honor speaking with you.
1: You too, Michael. Thank you, buddy.
0: Man, I don't know about about you, but what I took from that, that, that just sparked some memories for me. I remember walking into walking into a um, a bar and bellying up there and, and asking for um, whatever the drink was. I, I probably got a beer and a couple of shots. I drank them, and then I called the guy that said to me, hey, if you're ever going to have a drink, call me first. And I knew what I was doing. I wasn't ready at that point. You know it. I had a lot of uh, trial and error, but, but, but I hope that, that that's the, the, the part about, you know, every single step that you take, um, I hope that, that that hits you, because it's really true, and it's a weird thing to think about, but if you can just alter one of those steps, you know, I just grabbed my keys, there's my wallet, I'm going to turn the door handle and open the door, I'm going to walk to the car. I'm going to get in the car, I'm going to drive to the liquor store, I'm going to go in there, I'm going to grab the bottle of vodka, I'm going to put it down. Maybe take a left turn out of the driveway instead of a right. Go for a drive. You know, go drive somewhere inspiring or, I don't know, just sit in a parking lot and say a prayer. Or go to a meeting. Go down to the bodega and get a whole bag full of candy and eat that instead of the vodka. There's so many different things to do, and and it sounds so easy. And I know, believe me, I know, it's not. It's not easy. But I can tell you this, as hard as it is, and as frightening as it can be, and as frustrating and painful, in the end, it's going to be the best choice you made. Just alter one of those steps. Just do that this one time. On the next episode of Michael Mays Breaks the Cycle, we're going to have a conversation with my friend that saved my life. The reality is, honestly, I saved my life. My friend was my co-pilot that I needed. My making the phone call to her and saying, I think I need to go to the hospital was, was me taking that step to save my life. But... I I wouldn't have done it if not for her. Um, We've not really talked about (laughs) that whole day. I remember bits and pieces of it. I remember the the filthy, disgusting motel room that I was in. I remember my heart breaking when that voice in my head, I caught a glimpse of myself in the mirror. Greasy hair and an unkept beard and sweaty and fat and just awful, bloated. And this little voice in my head said, that's Jillian's dad. And you know in that moment when I when I heard that voice maybe what maybe what happened to me was the shame the guilt the the depression the the anxiety the, the everything that I would feel as a child with my alcoholic parents and family and I was now turning around and giving that gift to my child fuck no no absolutely not that was that was my rock bottom was knowing that all of those feelings, all of that, that guilt, that shame, like I said, that, that, no, I can't pass that on to her. So I made this phone call and I call my friend Chazzy and I say to her, I don't know where I am, but I think I need to go to the hospital. And she finds me and she brings me there. And I know on the way to the hospital, uh, at one point I wanted to stop and get a tattoo Uh, there was a, a, a go-go bar. I think I wanted to stop there. Let's just go in and have a couple of shots before I go to the hospital. Um, by the way, I was so hammered when we got to the hospital. that um, I don't even know. Something happened in the bathroom. I guess I pulled the emergency cord in the bathroom. And so if you it just... Listen, this next episode, I, I, I'm probably... I'm predicting some, some tears. I'm predicting... Um, Some some moments of gratitude and clarity and fear and terror. But I'm also predicting a few belly laughs because if you can't laugh at, you know, your your rock bottom and and the uh, quest for sobriety, then what's the point of being an alcoholic? (laughs) Thank you so much for listening to Michael Mays Breaks the Cycle. You know, I, I often say to people, live your best life today. You deserve it but I really mean it when I say it to you. You listen to this for a reason. Go live your best life today, man. You deserve it. I love you. May God grant you the serenity to accept the things you cannot change, the courage to change the things you can, and the wisdom to know the difference. Michael Mays breaks the cycle. A Professor Mays Creations, creation.